Welcome everybody to episode 95 of the Doss and D show and a very special episode for both Doss and I featuring a hero of ours, an AFL legend, the great James Hurd. A man who truly needs no introduction, you'll hear Doss shortly list off his incredible accolades, but put simply, when you think of the Essendon Football Club, you think of James Hurd. We're still pinching ourselves as we sat across from James and got the chance to talk all things footy and life with him. We got a great insight into James Hurd, the person away from football, including his passions, hobbies and day-to-day non-negotiables. He shared what he believes it takes to have courage, not only from a football sense, but in life. We learned about leadership, high-pressure moments, and media scrutiny, and what he's learned over the years to overcome some of the most difficult moments he's had to face, including being open about his public mental health battle a few years ago. James took us inside the locker room with some great footy club stories, including some of the most torturous training sessions, a classic Kevin Sheedy moment that will have you in stitches, and even the battle for footy's sexiest player against the great Shane Crawford. He shared his perspective about how football clubs have evolved in his time spent in them, the shift from semi-professional to a professional environment, and what that meant culturally and socially. There are so many other teasers I could list off, but let's hear it from the man himself. If you're a sport lover, you're going to enjoy this one for obvious reasons, but if you're not, there's so much to take from James's life lessons and stories. He's an incredibly giving, humble, and kind individual, and we're just so grateful for James's time. So sit back and enjoy the legend, the one and only James Hurd. Welcome to the Doss and D Show. Smashing societal pressure and unlocking your secret ambition. Now Doss, are you ready for our next interview? D, I'm ready. Now let's go balls deep. Okay D, I'm just going to list off a couple of notes. Go for it. So two premierships, one of them enormous with metal, 1996 Brownlow, five All Australians, five... Essendon Best and Fairest, two Essendon Leaning Gold Kicking Awards, captain from 98 to 2005 for the Bombers, AFL Hall of Fame and Essendon Team of the Century. Who have we got? Well, we've got to welcome the great James Hurd. Welcome to the Dawson D Show. Thank you. Great to be here. Mate, we're absolutely wrapped. Oh, I'd be lying to say if I wasn't a bit nervous and a bit starstruck, mate, because uh, <laughs> be right. it's, uh, it's pretty cool sitting opposite you, mate. But firstly... You've just come back from London. Yes, I was over there for a business trip and was lucky enough to go and watch uh, my favourite soccer team play, or football team play, Liverpool. So it was a highlight of the trip. Spent uh, about 10 days there and, yeah, it's something I've always wanted to do, being mm. a massive Liverpool supporter since I can remember. Is that at Anfield? At Anfield against yep. Tottenham. Uh, it was a one-all draw, unfortunately. But, yeah, a, an atmosphere like I have never experienced. Like, football's great, but a very, very different atmosphere. One-sided, yeah. walking through the streets, the ground just pops up out of nowhere and they just sing songs for... Two hours and yeah, it's pretty special. Did you do the Anfield tour? Did no, that a few years ago? I didn't. So my business partner Rob Mills, he's runs our business out of London. Okay. So we jumped on a train about four o'clock, I think, in the afternoon. Yeah. And just got there and walked to the ground, got there in Beautiful. time, went to the game. So we sort of timed it a bit late. But uh, no, I just want to sit in the crowd and, and soak up the atmosphere. Did you, were you happened. holding up the scarf? Never walk alone. And uh, I wasn't holding up the scarf, but I was definitely singing. <laughs> good, um, good. To the, uh, I suppose. Yeah, I would be. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I've got a horrible singing voice. You can probably <laughs> tell, but anyway, I fitted in pretty well. I think. Yeah, I bet. Oh mate, well, we just got back ourselves, and we we're big soccer fans, so we can't wait to dive into that. But Dosh just listed off your credentials and what you've done in your career, and we'll go over them a little bit later, but. James heard the person outside of football, outside of what we all know you for. What are some of your interests? Tell us about James Heard the person. I mean, I'm a bit of an exercise freak. I love, yeah. you know, love. I think when you get to, I'm almost 50 now, 49. So it's sort of, it gets to the point where you, you choose a path, but it's sort of on the d- downhill, or you just try and keep it level. So during COVID, I actually said to myself, I'm, I'm not going to go down the drinking route, which you know, half the population <laughs> went. I'm going to go down the, the, the exercise route. 
Yeah, it was divided. It was either one yeah, or the other, wasn't it? Was, wasn't there's it? no yeah. in between. Yeah. There's no in between. And I, uh, I took that path. And yeah, so I, that, that's a really important part of my, my day is mm. exercise in the morning. Love my family. You know, yep. love my family. And and really, for me, a perfect day is going to watch my boys and uh, play sport and yep. hang out with my daughter. And, you know, and, and as a family, it's something that's very, 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 very special. Mm. So talk about other activities. I love reading. You know, we've got our fingers in quite a few businesses as well, yeah. which means that we're pretty busy. Tanya has a, a hair business, you know, accessories business mm-hmm. that she's very involved in. I have a, a bus- you know, number of businesses involved in. So, you know, that work-life balance, I don't think there's any balance. But <laughs> yeah. um, we seem to be constantly just tapping into work and working and you know, as I said, when you get to a certain age, you've, you've got to decide whether you're, you're on the downward trajectory or you keep on going. Yeah. So hopefully keeping on going. Love that. On that, actually, it's just kind of made me think, I know what's recently happened with Sam Fisher, like how important it is to, to find something away from the game. Yeah. Like how, how did you find that transition? I mean, you got into coaching and whatnot, but now life away from coaching too. Like where do you see that at currently at the moment? I was fortunate in the era I started, it was semi-professional. So yeah, because mm. I went to university really I'd only miss five or six classes here and there because training didn't start till five o'clock in the afternoon. So I was lucky to get halfway through my degree before we went professional, which means that you're always your brain's always in the mode of either studying or working. Mm. So yeah, we started started companies. We started our first company, I think, Gemba, or back in two thousand and two or two thousand three. Okay. So while I was still playing, which meant that the transition out of playing into sort of full time work mm. wasn't as big, mm. but it was still tough. Like you know, I remember sitting sitting on the kitchen floor and just with this big hole in your life, football just disappears. Yeah. Um, and you go, wow, that's, that, you know, you don't get to see your mates every day. You don't get the adrenaline rush of, uh, of the game, the mm. training, being around everyone. And I think one thing you, you probably don't do as well as a footballer is go and find mates. Because yeah. or spend some time in relationships, building relationships, because they're all just there for you. Sure. So that was a bit of a hole, but yeah, just constantly trying to you know keep improving, keep working, and and and, and see the world and learn from the world. Mm. Very big on travel and, and and learning from people who have got a big expanse. Australia's great, but there's more than yeah. more the world than just Australia. Have you noticed like ex teammates, people you played with, struggle with identity outside of football? And what's that like if people don't go into the media or into coaching or that trajectory that a lot of the stars go through. Mm. What about the ones that are a bit more, you know, the 100 to 150 game players? They're well known, they're known as footballers, but then they're out of it, the industry, and that's it. Yeah, look, I think yeah, I think that identity, even I struggle with, you, you lose yeah. some of your identity. Sure. People say you shouldn't wrap your identity around football, but it's impossible not to. Yeah. It's, it's part of who you are. So I think everyone has that loss of identity to yeah. a certain extent. Some have it in a huge part and really mm. struggle. Some have it in a small part and can deal with it. But I think the the biggest part of it is recognising, being honest with yourself, well, that's over. Mm. You're not going to get that back. I, I think every football, wow. most footballers when they retire, oh, I could probably get six months down the track and there's a fleeting thought, maybe I should just go back and play yeah. one year. But that professional career, country football, suburban football, that's fine. But that career is over. Yep. And I've got to acknowledge that and then, and then move on. Mm. Because if you don't acknowledge that, you, you sort of keep drifting into no man's land and I'm, maybe I'm a footballer, maybe I'm working. Yeah. And, and almost start again um, mm. in terms of your professional life and understand the hardest thing at the age of between 28 and 35 is going, okay, I'm going to start a new profession or a new skill Yeah. and I'm going to be as good as some, some 18-year-old. And I'm sitting next to an 18-year-old who doesn't know much about life, but I'm back on that. Yeah, when yeah. you've just got to accept that and start again. And the ones, that, the ones that have, I think do it really well. Go, okay, I'm going to suck up my ego and go backwards for a while. The ones that don't, maybe struggle a little bit. We had Chris Ancy on the show a few weeks ago and he spoke on that around his basketball career. We should be changing the term for athletes. They shouldn't be called retired because mm. they're not retiring. 
they're just changing careers. Yeah. Essentially. Yep. And I thought, wow, that's something I haven't heard before. What about pressure? And I want to ask about your boys particularly because mm. they're both, you know, in the in the Essendon system essentially. Yeah. Have you seen that? They've got the herd name. You're obviously a, an icon when it comes to, to football. How has that been a father to the boys and, and to your daughter as well? Yeah. Having that pressure, but in particular when they're going through the, the football system? Yeah, I think both Tanya and I have been very, very conscious of being very proud of our children or, you know, or not proud with things that they don't do well, but very proud of our children for who they are, not what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that, that's that's a differentiation. So if it's Tom or Steph, who's a very good tennis player or she's doing well in a job, that's great. But ultimately, we're proud of you for the type of person you are. And we yeah. admire the hard work, we admire the discipline, we admire where you may get to as a result, but separate the two. So when it comes to, to Tom or Alex or playing football or soccer or or, or whatever it is, or, or Steph with her work, it, it's very much around yeah, segregating that and jumping on their support network to try and help them as best as they can. You know, and I think that's that's the differentiator because yes, for, for Tom at Essendon, I think the her name helps, but it also it doesn't help in, in certain situations and puts pressure on. But from our point of view, the only pressure that we would put on him is pressure he puts on himself. Mm. Um, because if you put a lo- all the work that someone like him puts into it or other players put into it, you want to see some reward. Because yeah. these guys train extraordinarily hard. They dedicate their 10, 15 years of their life to it. You hope that they get that reward from it. Mm. Yeah, for sure. One of the other things we really wanted to ask you about was courage, especially in your point of view, because we're looking at the 2002 season. That's when I got into football. Trip down memory lane. Trip down memory lane, yeah. That's when I... That's when I what were you, about five, were you? Or? Uh, close, yeah, I was seven. seven uh, okay, yeah, right. I, I'll never forget Dad taking me to the first game I remember it, and I'm a Saints fan. Yeah. Just but, how old are you guys, by the way? 27. 27, okay. Yeah. So you are older than my kids, that's good. That's yeah. Good. Just a bit, that's good. All right. And that season in particular, it's weird, because I, was, I got so obsessed with football that year, I can remember so much that happened, and I was only a seven-year-old, and I was still learning the players and all that kind of thing, but... Two big events happened for you in that year. The incident in Western Australia. Yep. And one thing that we don't hear much talked about, but really interests me, was a game against the Brisbane Lions later in the year mm. um, where infamously Kevin Sheedy came out and, and said there's no rules. Yep. Were you concussed the week before against Richmond? Uh, Were you coming back? Yeah, I was coming back. Maybe I broke a... Bro- yeah, something. something that well, week. Yeah. the thing was, as you being James Hurd, the star, the captain, the leader... And now you're going into this game where Kevin Sheedy said there's no rules. You're playing, you know, grand final rematch, probably the best team in the comp, and you're making a statement. And it's just pressure from everywhere, not only to perform as a footballer, but could get belted at any moment. And we were having a laugh in the car. You've got the Scott boys running around. You've got Mel Michael. You've got Jonathan Brown, and they're just swinging arms. And Michael Voss. Yeah, and Michael Voss, yeah. What's that like in terms of you have to go lead a team? Is it easy to focus on the job you have to do when all that's coming from, you know, around you? I think, look, it was, but thanks, Sheez, for setting that game up. You know, <laughs> there's no rules. I mean, have a look at who they've got. got Sheez used to call them the Cray Twins, I think he used to call them. Oh, Brothers, but, yeah. <laughs> a know, yeah, good people, but yeah, that's yeah. what he used to call them. But uh, that, 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 to me, was, was part of our job. I didn't see that as extraordinary or, or something. Mm. You know, there's courage in life, and, and since, since my football career's finished, and, mm. you know, you see other people, and, and the ability to have courage in life and courage in football are very, very different. Yeah. Courage in football is... It's putting your body on the line, mm-hmm. knowing you're probably going to get a knock, but mm-hmm. you know most of the time how to deal with that. Sure. Occasionally you get hurt, yep. and you know you get hurt quite badly. That never really worried me as much as you know. You look at the the courage that certain people have in life to get up and do things. Yeah, that to me is because 
in football you don't even think about it it's, it's sort of instinctive and so it's not really courageous because your brain just does it yeah but you're in life when you've got to do something that's really difficult mm. or you've got to get up off the canvas or you've got to when you've got to overthink it your brain starts telling you not to do it that's that to me is sort of real courage i uh, i love that answer but on that you mentioned sheets and you mentioned sheets <laughs> very lucky too because like i know sheets on a personal level as well through my dad and a positive move the business you know over 20 30 years even and I know he was a big mentor to my dad and it's a great story actually. My dad ran his first event probably in the early 90s and Sheets was the guest speaker and there was 200 people, there were 100 people there and Sheets said to dad, just look after these 100 people and then the next year you'll get 150. And the, yeah. Well, 10 years later and it was 12, the 12th year of the breakfast and there's 2,000 people there and Sheets is there again and mm. you know it's happened. But um, So he's been huge for our family. But do you have a, a, a funny story about Sheets or just what kind of coach was he? Sheeds was a, a one of a kind. I yeah. mean, people saw him as the, the nutty professor, but he was very, very calculated. And, and I came into sort of playing probably halfway through his career. So he's evolved from a, an ex-player who was, you know, rough and tough and, you know, really a disciplinarian to probably when I came in understanding people a little bit better. Mm. So he was very, he was, he was fearsome. And, you know, as a young kid walking into Essen, you, you feared him. But he was, he was a very caring person when he got to know you, mm. which, took, which took a while. He, was, you know, he really had to earn your, your colours with sheets. And, you know, he, would, he didn't like um, students, so I was at university, which he couldn't stand. So why, oh, really? why would you go to university? <laughs> well, he, he pretended not to, want, not to like them, but he actually he does like education. Every, yeah. every city he goes to in the world, he buys a book. Yeah, okay. Um, we were jumping on a plane in, in, Texas, in Dallas going to, I think it was New Orleans, and he missed the plane. Because he was in the bookstore buying a book, and I was and I was sitting next to him on the plane, and he, we walked on the plane, and he went, "Oh, bugger, I haven't bought a book." So he jumped off the plane, ran to the bookstore, and the uh, the flight attendant said oh, to me, "Is he coming back?" And I said, "Well, yeah, we're back in flight. She's buying a book." She said, "Oh, too late. Close the door." And Come on, Shane. You're kidding. Just you know, can that's it, you a great. Know. I hope it was a good read. Yeah. Oh, who knows what it was? <laughs> who, who it would have had plenty of time to read it. Yeah. But that's a sort of. He, he was a self-educator. Like he didn't get the education that, you know, didn't go to university, didn't yeah. get the education. So he self-taught himself. But w- what a man. I mean, he, he, was, he, he was confrontational. He put you offside and he put your arm around you. And by the end of my career, I couldn't speak more highly of him as a man mm. and what he did for myself, my family and, and the Essendon Football Club. We had a couple of months ago now, we had Justin Peckett come on our show, Leading Teams, yep. and he spoke about leadership. Great podcast talking about Probably the positive sides of leadership and styles of leadership and all mm. that kind of stuff, but we haven't really spoken to someone that has led in such a like high regard as, as you have. So, my question is more about when you're struggling personally, mentally, yeah. and you still have to rock up to the media, to the football club, lead the boys, lead the club, be the face of the club, and the world around you, for whatever reason, is is difficult and things are happening. How do you? separate the two or was mm. it and and coming back to sheets how does he help you through those moments does he put his arm around you and help you through and yeah, i'm just interested yeah. in that so first there was sheets even when i was coaching outside of football in life you know i've, I've spoken to him regularly just just have a chat because sometimes <laughs> you don't even have to tell someone the problem yeah it's just have a chat and let them talk to you about life and you feel good about yourself because that's mm-hmm. what some people do for you and Sheets does that you talk to him you get a positive energy you go I can solve that that's, yep. that's okay Cool. the good thing about a football club is that whether you're the coach whether you're the captain whether you're the leader 
a lot of the time you provide leadership. Mm. But the great thing is when you're not having a great day, that team provides you with leadership yeah. and, and calmness. And, and you walk into that environment, you go, it's going to be okay. You mm. might be having dealing with stuff outside of football. You might be dealing with whatever it is. Mm. That team environment generally helps. I suppose in, in, in my life, I've... It's a, it's a skill you learn is to actually when things are going wrong and there's you, 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 things are going not not big things but you know yeah you know, some days your day just goes out of control yeah. right and you go would another thing go wrong for yeah, me you know yeah. and not, not big things but they just mount up the ability just to step back take some time and just let it all wash over and recenter and then and then go again awesome. is it is something that I've learned to do I didn't yeah. know how to do it you know 10 15 years ago but I've had to force myself to do it to to just get through little shitty things that happen in your yeah. day or, or bigger things. Yeah. And often often I find if you if you just take a little bit of time, take a step back, a solution will, will come. And it might not be a great solution. It might not be the ideal solution. You know, sometimes there's two shitty solutions you've got to choose which one it is. Yeah. But, but at least you've thought it through and you put some context to it in your own brain and you and you go back to okay my good person, how, do, how, does, how would a good people, how would a good person deal with that respect to other people and, and you go forward. Mm. I actually love that because I listened to, a, I keep bringing up old podcasts, but I listened to a podcast yesterday. I, you might have heard of it. It's called The Imperfects. Yeah, it's that. with um, Hugh Van Kolenberg from The Resilience Project and a couple of other people and they interviewed Max Gorn and they basically were asking him what was the changing factor? You know, they finished second last in 2020 then win the flag in 2021 yeah. and he basically said it was off the back of the way they talk to one another in the locker rooms, what would happen? And you could speak on this because I'm sure the locker room has changed over the years. Yeah. But he was speaking on when they would finish a game, Jake Lever might have had 20 touches, 15 intercept marks, but they would still, they'd get in the locker room and he'd be feeling good. Would they'd go, you didn't play on anyone, mate. Mm. Like, and just a small little remark like that, mm. the, the damning effect it can have. Yeah. And he said it wasn't until one of the players brought it up in a meeting, which we thought... We're just shit talking too yeah, much. Like we're, we're not respecting one another and talking to each other in a professional way. And I think I think football, particularly coaching and football and coaches' boxes and whatever. It, it, and I wasn't a great coach, so I'm not professing, but it, it's very it gets very very negative very quickly. Yeah. And I think you know that whole the stress of losing or the stress of not doing well comes onto people really quickly. And mm. they think about what that result mm. is and how that's going to affect me. Is the media going to you know, criticise yeah. me? Or if yeah. you don't play well out in the ground, how's the coach going to say to me? What's the coach going to say to me? And the ability to problem solve under stress is something that coaches learn very well. Good yeah. Coaches who survive learn very, very quickly <laughs> yeah. because if you don't, you don't. And that, that you can transfer into life. When things are going a bit crazy, when there's a problem, which is, is stressful upon you, if you make the decision under stress, it normally doesn't go. Yeah. Well, you have to... Get the stress out of you and think, what's the problem and how do I solve it? And that's, that's to difficult. me, that's it is very difficult. Yeah. And that's to me the the coach's box, having you know done the, the job a while ago. That taught me in life. Okay, if I take the stress out of the decision, like the result out, what's the problem I got to solve and let's solve that, and, or what's the problem we have to solve and solve that and go forward. Did you ever model yourself after any coaches or leaders or like you said you read a lot of books did have you read someone um, is it it's very hard to it's very hard i think to model yourself on on a, another person because mm. you're so different course, everyone's yeah. so yeah. different yeah. Uh, i really like you know liverpool support i yeah, really yeah, like yeah. jurgen klopp's style of the way he yeah but i don't know how he coaches because i'm not in the coaches room i don't know him as a person i yeah. just see what i see it could be a persona sure um and even even management books even leadership books even podcasts how do you know that, that, that that's really what yeah. So you take you take things out of what everyone says. You go, that's I really like that. I really like that. Yeah. But is that the r- real person? I've sort of been around long enough to know that what 
people say and write and do, or sorry, write and say, is not necessarily who they are. Yeah. Some people are very genuine, but if you don't know anyone, yeah. how do you say, oh, I want that to be my mentor? So mentors, sure. are, mentors are, I think your family is a really important yeah. part of your mentoring and friends. But people you don't know, I'm not sure. It hasn't been something I've been able to sort of tangibly grab hold of. Sure. Are you into like self-development? Like those books you're talking about, if you're reading quite often, like a, what kind of... So I'm reading a book at the moment called Play Bigger, which yeah. is about um, entrepreneurship and you know how Uber started and how these entrepreneurs started, Cold Start Problem, which aren't more self-help help books. They're, they're two books about really how, how you build a, a nuclear network and a small business. And I, lo- I love grabbing and being part of really small businesses yep. that grow and grow and grow and grow from, yeah. from nothing. That's sort of what I get passionate about. Yeah, cool. Um, and that's, that's to me where I spend a lot of my time because you... You've, you've got, there's no shackles on you at this point. There's only defining what that has to be. Like you go and work for a big organisation and the structure and there's yeah. you know, a box you have to fit into. Yeah. But this is just, all right, here it is. Let's define it ourselves and let's see where it fits in the community and, and try and work it through. Yeah. So that's, that to me is something that's really exciting. You said you studied. What were you studying at university? So something totally irrelevant to what okay. I was talking okay. about. Okay. I studied civil engineering okay. and then I did an MBA as well. So, oh, yeah. cool. So, yeah, totally. The MBA is relevant, but the civil engineering was... Totally irrelevant to what, anything that I've done in my life. But it was one of those things where you get halfway through it and you go, oh, I really don't want to do it yeah. anymore. I remember my mum sitting me down and saying, look, even if you don't want to do it, just finish it. Because yep. it'll be something that you can, you can have for the rest of your life sitting there. And it's a sign that you stick at things that even when they're not going as well as you would have liked. I was just yeah. going to ask, would you give that advice to your kids? Absolutely. Thanks for stealing my question. Absolutely. I think, look, if you get six months into a, a degree you don't like and you can change and you can then go into another one, fair enough. But sure. once you've done three out of five years, yeah. you might as well keep and, and it's more about sticking to what you started? Or, or I, I think so. From, I mean, yeah. you're pushing through it. Without being silly, this yeah, is, of you don't want to push through things that aren't going to yeah. you know, lead to a negative result. Of course, yeah. But particularly in this day and age where we'll get to it, I'm sure we'll talk about 18 to 25-year-olds. I mean, yeah. how, the, how on earth do you know what, you, mm, what yeah. you're going to do with the rest of your life? Yeah. For, for even my demographic, you're chopping and changing a fair bit. But I think for the young, you yeah. know, if you're coming out of high school or under 30, you've really got job prospects all over the place with different mm. skill sets. Which which is great, mm. but can also be quite can be quite difficult to yeah. move your way through as well. Yeah, like we're big believers, and I definitely am, on as many different things you can try. That's probably in my eyes. How do I know what I like if I don't try multiple yeah. different things? Yep. So, like, I, I love the idea of sticking at something, but at the same time, if if I know within the first year or a couple yeah. of years, I'm like, like you said, like obviously be smart about it. You yeah. Know? If you know, you know what, like. I've actually worked out I don't want to be a builder. Like, yeah. I can't see myself having yeah. a building business. Don't stick at it for another six years for yeah. the sake of it. Yeah. But with your kids as well, like, what are they studying? Are they studying? Yeah, so they've all... Steph just finished her law commerce. She's at PwC. Tom's doing law commerce and Alex is doing commerce. So yeah. they're, they're yeah. all... They're pretty broad degrees. Yeah. And, you know, without talking about what we talk at the dinner table, sometimes they have good days, sometimes they have bad days. Oh, and they... Yeah. It's tough sometimes because yeah. there's, you know, tough assignment, tough exam... But that's part of getting through, mm. getting through university and, and getting through it. And I think, I think work ethic is a really important part of life. Like, it, you know, we have fun. I'm not saying we don't have fun. Yeah. But just, just put your head down and be able to have a crack at something and really work through it. 
we'll, we'll get you somewhere in life if you if you stick to that. So are you saying if the homework's not done, there's no dessert kind of thing? Or uh, what is no, that? No, no, absolutely. No, <laughs> they'll be walking home from school. No, no, no they're, they're pretty good. They've been pretty good. Yeah, good. So I want to ask too, when you, around that time of your life when you're at university and you're walking, because you picked 79, right? Yeah. And so quite a, a late pick in the draft. What was it like walking into Windy Hill at that time? of your life and, and then as it changed in the years that you were there more like lock, like Doss mentioned earlier locker room talk how coaches coached yep. attitude the, the sort of blokey bloke maybe yeah. change and yeah. style yeah I'm mean, just interested to know from the day you walked in to the kind of day you walked out as a player the change so I think so I when I got there in the start of 1991 to Windy to Essendon and I did my knee I tore my patella tendon off the bone on crutches for first after about five weeks yeah. so my first day at university I turned up on crutches so I'm sort of hobbling around with your backpack on so that was I, I really didn't spend time training with the group till half of that first year which was difficult because you couldn't form relationships you couldn't so you're in a new city I came from Canberra yeah. didn't know anyone at uni didn't know anyone here it felt it was a bit sort of were you telling people you were, you were on the Essendon list? No one knew. No one oh, cared yeah. and no one yeah. knew. Okay, and, okay. and by... So I would have said till we won... Till about half through 93, which was my third year at uni, yeah. no one ever knew I played footy. Oh, okay. Yeah, it wow. just wasn't like it is now. It really, it's very different now. It, there was no social media. <laughs> yes. there might, because if, unless you were Gary Ablett, Jason Dunstall or Tony Lockett, yep. you weren't on the front page of the paper. Yeah. And that yeah. the only way to consume news was TV or paper. So yeah. no one knew that. But I think the biggest difference... What we tried to do at Eston, I think we did it really well in, in, in the time I was there, is we always wanted to keep a football club feel. And what I mean by that is we went from semi-professional to professional, yep. but we wanted to make sure that the families are involved, the wives are involved, the kids are involved. Everyone felt like it was a place they wanted to come and play and socialise. Yep. So after games, you know, dinners, we, we, it was very much kids around. It was very, very keep it semi-professional feel but trained like a professional gotcha um, you know yes we were probably pretty blokey at the start you know mm-hmm. I'm sure we're, you know, I'm sure there was you know some rules broken that would, wouldn't go <laughs> yeah. down very well now yeah um, but you know when I retired 2007 and I'm sure it's moved on on a long way yeah. but I always felt Essendon was a very respectful respectful yeah. place of, of partners and wives and, and yep. it was and it was a place that families came and that was Kevin Sheedy you know Sheed's always had his, his wife Geraldine and his kids around the place yep. so you know the example set by the the, the leaders um, sure. flows down through the club but it was a place that you had to work hard you know yeah. you had to you had to train very hard and if you didn't you sort of got ostracized and you know without going too deep into it there's a couple of guys who I think you know that was the year of start of the year of sort of recreational drugs coming okay. into football a couple of guys there and they just got mm. out straight away you know, so, right, so okay. look, I'm not saying it wasn't in our club, but it, it yeah, felt like it was um, it was a reasonably clean culture in that respect. It's interesting hearing you say that because the trickle down effect, and this is where, like for example, everything that's happening with the umpires and umpire abuse, it trickles down to local football, and like being you know someone who's been part of local football too, it's funny that illicit drug use is the same thing. Yeah, like I'm not saying that AFL players, that's what, but that's today's day and age, like. In a lot of local communities, it's it's really sad to see. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it's 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 still it's still. Like, I think it's a community. Drinking. I think it's a community wide yeah. thing. though, really, into it is, it. isn't it? It's, it feels like the school system is, you know, high schools. It's it's there as well. Yeah. But on the umpire stuff, it was interesting when I played the first half of my career. The umpires would give it to you, and really, you, really, in a respectful way. You'd say you drop a, you'd, you'd think you took a mark, and you know, and you didn't get paid. You'd say to 
you know, Rowan saw so he dropped the mark and he'd say, well, you, you ducked your head there. So, you know, and, yeah, but it was, okay. it was quite a, it wasn't abuse. It was more just conversation. Mm. And I think that's what I think I really enjoyed. To be able to talk to the umpire and, and, and ask the question and for him to come back and maybe a bit of a smart ass now and then, yeah, which, yeah. you know, I think Darren Goldsmith was, yeah, he and I got on really well <laughs> yeah. because he was a bit of a smart aleck, but that was okay because it was said in jest in both ways, but it was never a disrespectful yeah. conversation. Now, I think we've got well, well past that, but that seemed to me to be a good... You could you could question a decision without being disrespectful. It's a middle ground. There's a no, middle yeah, ground, yeah. it's got to be. Yeah. Like, that makes sense, doesn't it? And with a lot of areas in life, it's just like, it just seems to now be such a divide where... Like, we live in a society of people being outraged for the sake of being outraged. Yeah, outraged specialist. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Those in yeah. AFL commentary. Yeah. <laughs> if you're not outraged, there's something wrong with you. No. <laughs> well, there you go. And that's and that's the thing. It's like, it's just... Hopefully, we'll swing back to a bit more of a... I don't think mallet. so. Yeah. Well, I, I just, we can dream. We can, we can dream. dream. <laughs> I just don't see how you're going to swing back when outrage is, you know, sound bites. Yeah. True. Clickbait. It seems to be that's what, that's what the uh, outrage specialists want. We um, should, you should do a top five of your outrage specialist in AFL commentary. Maybe that, we might do that. Maybe we'll, we'll do that. Yeah. A couple of good mates, shit mates, who are the commentary yeah, specialists. They're the so. specialists, yeah. But um, were you going to ask? I was just going to ask, just out of interest, because you mentioned training hard, and this is just an off-the-cuff question, but what comes to your mind when you think of the hardest training session you had or the, or the biggest punishment you're put through? Because it's different now. Like uh, We've played footy all our lives too. And not much good. But yeah, not, a, not a, anywhere near a... a a high level but even just I feel like it was more difficult when I was 12 yeah, and the punishments yeah. were put through by when we were 10 or 12 years old than we are now like now it's all about you know kissing and cuddling and yeah, there's a few um, <laughs> probably the, the, the hardest we 92 I think we lost a lot of games like yeah. lost in the middle of the year and we, we started really well with, and I was just starting to break in the team playing reserves mm-hmm. and we turned up around 8 or 9 these huge massive pine logs on the ground oh no and so there would have been six of them and they would have been uh, 10 10 meters long i don't know whatever they were they're just long and heavy and you couldn't get your arm around them and i was you know skinny ass (laughs) you're wearing a short sleeve jacket you had to put them on your shoulder basically yeah and we just ran around the home for it seemed like a week (laughs) this is a this is a monday night i just ran around and around and around around they put them ground we lifted them up and lifted them around and can i ask is this before the whole like is this sheets this is she- oh yeah this is sheets idea this is sheets yeah, idea course, well, so. he wasn't there but this is his idea <laughs> <Of course. laughs> and that's a monday night so we did that monday and then tuesday we're thinking oh, we'll get the footies out at least yeah uh, the logs are still there oh, so no. we had logs i think every night that week and every night the next week we got smacked both weeks so it wasn't a, it wasn't <laughs> a thing but the heart that was the, the worst mental session in terms of but the hardest session we did a sand dune session with our weights coach Loris Bertolacci in I think it was in Portsea oh no and we just went up and down these sand dunes until I think every player on the list vomited I know those exact sand dunes yeah and it's just and and it wasn't it was the first time we'd done them so after you've done something once you learn how to pace yourself a little bit to get through but I think within 25 minutes every player was Vomiting, I think the the, the water, the the, uh, the rich people down at Portsea we might not want to, you know, jump in the water. <laughs> it's <laughs> hilarious because we we did when I played at Mornington Footy Club, and that was always the camp, go to Portsea, and that yeah. was that. Oh, I just remember our coach used to sit at the top of the dune, and you had to run up and high five him. I can't remember how many we did, but similar, yeah. like nobody got through that. Yeah, no, it was, yeah. It was shocking. You know, we went to um, Cerberus and you know did <laughs> yeah. the push-ups on the on the knuckles till your knuckles yeah. you know, were oh. bleeding and all that all that sort of stuff we rode bikes up hills that you know 
guys fell off and broke arms. It was just oh, it was back in the day when yeah. you know, if unless you almost killed a couple of players, it wasn't really a training camp. So. <laughs> yeah, get away with anything. Yeah, yeah. oh yeah, Compared you wouldn't get away with it now. No, no, no way. That's right. I guess in comparison to some of the other players you played against, like um, we were talking last night, and we wanted to ask you about. You know, you're part of just a generation that was just unbelievable. You know, you've got Buckley, Voss, you three together. Those three, wasn't you know, it? it's mm. pretty awesome. But which I don't think it's never really been spoken about. But pretty cool that you three all coached clubs. Like, do you do you three stay in contact? Like, I don't know. It just seemed from the outset, it seemed um, like you. Were I haven't close seen Vossy for a while, for a long while actually. But good to see him doing so yeah. well, Carlton. I think it's great. You know, got his second chance. He's doing a great job. I see Nathan doesn't live too far away, so I see him running now and then. Yeah. If if you don't run before. 4.30 in the morning you don't see Nathan he's a, he's a fitness freak he's, by the way did you play together as kids we did um, back in about the under 12s he okay. was a year older than I was okay. so he played in the under 13s and I played in the under 12s I think it was and I'd go up I'd play my game and then I'd get a half yeah. of the old if they were short so yeah, that's basically yeah. how we played together but he was only there one year but okay. he was a freak like literally yeah. you know I was okay, but this this kid would kick it himself a full back and run the whole length of the field and you know, kick a goal, and no one could touch him. He was that good. He was that good. So I wasn't surprised when I saw his name get drafted up to Brisbane. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was it was a it was a really. I mean, Mark Rusciuto, Wayne Carey. It was just there's just a lot of yeah. you know, personalities at their clubs who were excellent players, and I think you're. You, you were either attacking or defensive player back then. Yeah. Whereas now you have to do both. Yeah. Whereas, you know, I wouldn't have thought that Bucks lost it myself or, <laughs> or, very or, 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 or yeah. Wayne knew much about how to defend. Although, you know. But they all comment on it now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's yeah. all very important now. Yeah, yeah. But I, I was doing some stuff with Stevie Johnson the other day and he was trying to tell me that He's a better player than I was. I said, that's fine, Stevie. I said, but I tackled more than you did. And he actually went and looked it up. <laughs> and he said that I averaged 1.79 tackles per game, which uh, I think in this day and age would get you out of the team. Yeah, 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 <laughs> it wouldn't you. last. Uh, if you he, he looks like he could still be like, I saw a video post the other day, he's still kicking goals from bloody the, behind the goals. Like a oh, he's amazing skills. You just might not be able to get to the ball. No, <laughs> that's important. I was going to say, do you have to put him in his place? Do you have to get the footies out and take him on into goal kicking? No, I, I know when I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> and I know my, my, my career was 30 years ago, not or 20 years ago, not now. Speaking of that era, because to me it was an exciting era, that 90s. Obviously, we were very young, but I was just footy fanatic, so I've got all these videos and DVDs as kids and just used to watch 90s highlights. I loved it. I want to talk a little bit about the footy show. What's it like? What's Eddie like? What's Sam like? What was that like? You were, part, you were an integral part of that show, especially yeah. in the 90s when it was the biggest thing on TV. Yeah, it was it was pretty incredible, really. Mm. Um, I think '93 for the '93 Grand Final was the first show. Yeah, and then I don't think I I was on it for '95, '96, so a couple yep. of years. And, but it was all awesome fun. I mean, yeah. Eddie and Sam were the show, right? Yeah, and you know Billy and Jason Dunstall, Gary Lyon, and Croft were probably the, mm. the the highlights of it. But but they'd make you feel very welcome. And yep. you were this the, the, you were the sideshow. They'd yeah. throw to you and for a couple of comments and yeah. you know rib you and then. But Sam and Eddie were, yeah, you know, very, 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 very kind yep. and very generous with their time, and you know, yeah. trying to teach you, you know, how to not get too nervous and, and yeah. how to do it. But the stuff that went on in the breaks was was just hilarious. You know, the, the arguments between because Sam was just never prepared. Yeah, so yeah, Sam, yeah. Sam would have all these things he's meant to say, <laughs> and he'd say none of them and say these other things. And I think it was frustrating to a certain extent. But then when I think Ed worked out that it was that was the show and how funny mm. that was that he just went with the punches. But I remember it was meant to go for an hour and a half, yep. right, the show. And I think from memory, the Sydney and, Vic- and Melbourne 
sort of Channel 9 would link up at 10 past 11 or whatever it was. Okay. So they had to get out at this certain time. And we'd still be going at 20 past 11, half past 11. So, so there's, yeah. Was this when the NRL footy show started then too? Or that might, yeah. I was say, they would always go after. They would always, yeah. It was, it was on the same time. Yeah. But then they'd yeah. Yeah, put them on after. But cool. it was... Uh, it was a great dynamic, and what a show! You know, I think it, it's incredible. Uh, really. Yeah, just from nothing, really. You know, yeah. a couple of guys sitting on the before the '93 grand final, and then mm. then that's what it became. Honestly, Thursday night was probably nearly my favourite night besides mm. the weekend because I'd have footy training. You'd get home from footy training, cold night, have a shower, footy show was on. You know, yeah. get to yep. see all the teams. Whoever was on the panel that night, Sam would uh, make us laugh. Uh, no, it was a great, great show. And I just don't think there's, you know, and Trevor Marmalade was, yeah, Trevor, there's just yeah. probably not that, like, Sammy's self-effacing humour. Yeah. It's just not that <laughs> person around. Yeah, no. You know, Ed was such a professional. So the, the, the dynamic was yeah. incredible. Well, I'd love to, you, you would have seen firsthand because we've got his book behind the shelf. I have to be honest, I haven't read it. He's read it. <laughs> um, but the work rate from that man, Eddie, like, yeah. incredible. Is, like, yeah, and how he built his reputation. I think Dee was saying, you know, he, he used to, go out and socialise with the players, wouldn't drink, but he would just go out to build connections. And he was at Channel 10 at the time, and but his work rate, just amazing. Yeah, it was a bit before my era, but I think in the early, late 80s, early 90s, he was the man about town, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about, like, using Eddie as a bit of an example, the importance of networking or, or just being, a, like you said, a, like a good person, a people person, someone that people can trust. How far does that get you in life? I think it gets you a long way. I think networking for networking's sake can always be a problem yeah. because you, you maybe not as genuine. But I, I just sure. think if you're genuine, you treat people well and then you put, you've put got to put yourself in uncomfortable positions as well. Like I, I think you yeah. don't get anywhere if you just stick to your comfort zone. Yeah. So those, those things about taking yourself out of your comfort zone, whether it be you know a work situation, whether putting yourself in things that you're not very good at and having go at it yeah you you never really come away with a negative experience if you yeah you put yourself in an uncomfortable position and yeah. try something new and meet new people and get out in the world so yeah. it's very easy to be comfortable yeah but i don't think you get too far if you yeah well, you don't get the full experience of life if you stay comfortable i know we've got like a lot of like a lot of our listeners and listenership and there's other podcasts more in that mental health space i'd love to touch on that and i guess your advice and experience like we're both sufferers of anxiety and and things like that but at the moment it's such a an epidemic the mental health yeah. epidemic how, how have you seen that evolve especially from an athlete point of view and a, and a coach point of view you've experienced it now in today's day and age yeah obviously had it well you know documented problems with mental health you know yeah. probably it's a long time ago now six seven years ago now as a result of everything that happened with the asada investigation and just the whole the whole build-up and, and i just couldn't deal with all the crap that was going on. Sure. It, just, it just came to a head. But I think looking at it objectively now, it, it it's just it just wasn't able I wasn't able to clear my head of, of negative thoughts, you know, right. because there were just so many coming coming in. And so when I look at young people now, I, I do think anxiety is a is a is a major issue, mm. which then leads to, to self doubt or, or does self doubt lead to anxiety? I'm not sure which one comes I'm not, not sure which one comes first. Or maybe they they go together. And then depression. And I, look, I don't have a solution. I'm not, no. But community support, support from friends, family seems to be the, the most important. So I know that that time of your life was obviously well documented. Like you said, it was tricky. So, But I'm more interested in you as a person, how you dealt with it. I just can't imagine the scrutiny. It, it's one thing dealing with these things yourself yeah. and maybe a couple of other people that are involved or your family. But... When the media and the world knows about it, how, how the hell do you get through it? How do you deal with it? 
Yeah, enormous support from your family. I think, you know, that was important for me from Tanya and the kids and, and my extended family and friends. You know, the, a lot of friends were, 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 were excellent. Some yep. dropped away, which you know, sure. is your work out. But I think, uh, I think in the end you have to just make a decision who you want to be. Do you want to be worried about what other people think about you or do you worry, do you worry about who you are and how you build yourself? And, yep. and I'd never spent a lot of time working on myself you know, you, you go and play AFL football, you've got a good job, you've got a good family. You, yep. it, so you, you sort of just think it rolls on. So in some ways, to actually have to take a step back and go, okay, I've got to work, I've got to understand who I am, what makes me happy, what makes me tick, what mm-hmm. makes me, you know, maybe go off, off the rails a bit and, sure. you know, not, not understand things. It was a really important journey. And I'm not saying I'm, there's no way I'm at the end of that journey. I don't yeah. think you ever get to the end of that journey. No. But I do feel like in, in my own personality, I understand what what actually centres me and what I need to be a good person. Sure. Know, and, there's, and there's certain things I need to do every day. So yep. that, that probably wasn't there you know, 10 years ago. Can you quickly talk about, you just mentioned what you do every day. What, what are some of those things? It's very basic. I, I mean, I exercise every day. I try yep. and run every morning and do a, a little... And that, for me, that is not necessarily the exercise. It's more the, it's more the meditation when I run. So sure. it's, it's actually... I don't know if it's an actual thing, but I actually... So no headphones? No, I, some of what I do, some of what I don't. The first first probably 20 minutes, I don't. And that just clears my head and actually is yeah. almost like running and meditating at the same time. I don't, know if it's, I don't know if it's actually even possible, but for me it is. Yeah. And if I don't do it, it it's a real... The day just doesn't work. Yeah, so it's, okay. So it's compulsory. Non-negotiable, um, wow. Yeah, so that... And that took a long while to... To, to get there does it matter how far you run or you're hitting uh, it doesn't matter really it's more yeah. it's more, but it might even be run a while it. walk a while it's just get out in the out yeah. in the space open space fresh air I couldn't mm-hmm. do it inside and just just go yeah so that's and, and that way all those thoughts that you know those those self doubt those concerns or whatever they just seem to sift through mm-hmm. and get processed and you can actually work through each one of them right so and, and I don't know, some people it's not exercise, but I think the ability to clear your headspace at some stage in the day, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through um, just lying on your back and just looking at the stars or whatever. One, yeah. one for me is journaling. Yeah, exactly. You know, yep. Everyone's different. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, look, they are. And I think for me, it's, you know, clearing your head in the morning. It's a very important part of morning routine. I think alcohol and, you know, I love a glass of red wine, but staying away from it at certain times is, is really important for me. I think... One of the things people do with stress is they can really turn to turn to alcohol. On, on alcohol, did you, was there many players that didn't drink? Like, was it? Yeah, that's a good question. Like, cause not in not. There's a couple. Yeah. A couple in my era, but most people. You know, I think uh, football back then was a drinking culture. Yeah. That was how you bonded. That was, mm. you know, you, it was your reward. Yeah. It's funny, you know, you, you you don't drink all week and then you play and you drink too much and then you start <laughs> again. And Isn't that weird? It's just a stupid. It's a stupid thing, but that was the culture. Yeah, it still is. It still is the culture, yeah. and it's still. I think it's still the culture of a lot of Australian people. Work mm. hard and. You know, so I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I just, I just know for me, it's, it's. Well, when VB's playing the ads, you know, it's a hard and thirst. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> right. You know, it's hard not to think that way, isn't it? Like, absolutely. Them, I like VB at all. It's disgusting, but. <laughs> and I think when you're stressed, that is the easy crux, right? And it, and it makes it worse a lot of the time. Yeah. And then, and then just, you know, I think spending time with people who you really want to spend time. Yeah. With. Very simple. That that seems to me to be the good formula, and, and I, I like I like reading, whether it be a, a book, a serious book, or just a book that's about some crazy spy somewhere that yeah. you know, takes your brain somewhere else. Yeah. Because your brain needs to switch off. It can't be constantly thinking about 
work and, and what's going on. So. I think we need to take on that advice. Like, and I yeah. think a lot of other young people too is, this isn't our job. We want it to be one day. We work our jobs and we enjoy our work, but you come home and you're just you're working on something else. Yeah, and you never actually, even the books we read aren't like they're all books about yeah they're not taking notes books and yeah. highlighting and you know yeah. um, so for me just hiking like just get, going up to Dandenongs and you yeah. know, finding yeah, a place to nice. walk for an hour two hours three hours it feels very much for me it's around exercise getting outside sounds and like nature yeah. letting the letting the world just pass you by you mentioned her a few times Tanya how did you meet her can you tell us that story uh, yeah so it's it's not, a, well, it's not a bad story she was <laughs> she was working at the Grand Hotel in okay. Essendon and uh, Gavin Wanganeen's girlfriend had become his wife Stephanie went to school with went to school with her they'd finished school and I saw her at the bar and, I, and Steph said she knew her so she introduced us Tony gave me nothing <laughs> for, uh, bartenders never do let's yeah, be honest we tried it. <laughs> anyway I managed to get a number well done and uh, I think she let me take her out about six months later so yeah, it's oh, played very hard to get yeah, yeah, yeah. very hard to get well, on that, there's something in the notes that you need to bring up. Well, it's funny because I mentioned to you, 2002, I said, was the year that and I got into footy. In 2001, I couldn't give a shit about footy and I was a six-year-old kid. But I, we had, used to have a holiday house and in 2001, Essendon, Brisbane, the granny. And for some reason, our family were all sitting around. So aunties, mum, grandparents. And a fierce debate broke out. <laughs> and the Herald Sun's in the middle. And they were going through some... I, I don't, can't remember exactly what it was, but it was like a footy fan survey type of thing. Right. And one of the questions was the sexiest player in the AFL. Right. There was only two names that were getting debated around this table and it was like divided the room. Right. So there was team Shane Crawford. Yeah. There was team James Hurd. Okay. I'm going to embarrass my mum. She was team James Hurd. Good on her. <laughs> so shout Good out to her. Uh, so how do you feel about that? Where do you, well, th- do you think I, you had I, Croft covered? Or? Uh, no way. Croft was the sexiest man alive. And Croft and I did a podcast for a year together. Yeah, I, yeah, so yeah, Croft yeah. and I are good mates. But yeah. it, it was a very clear divide. Croft yeah. had everyone below 35. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> thought he was attractive. And I had all the mums. So, so I, I think... Um, I think it sort of shows that no, Croft would walk down the street and the girls would throw arms. Yeah. That, that never happened to me in my life. Oh, really? <laughs> no, no, but Croft, um, yeah, Croft, very, very attractive man. Oh, that's so funny. I remember a little, like a, a documentary came out about Croft. Yes. Remember, made by said, himself. Uh, made by, <laughs> yeah, no, he made that, that, Now that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Because it's like standing, it's, every, yeah, every, every woman in the world was in love with him in that yeah. documentary, yeah. yeah no, yeah. Croft... Croft didn't own a shirt for about five years. <laughs> um, we're, we're, kind of, we're coming to the end of the moment, mate, but, and we've touched on a little bit with your kids and that younger generation, um, and that's part of what we're trying to do is reiterate to the younger people that the opportunities are out there and, and sometimes it's it's okay to not know what you want to do. Yeah. Um, do you have any type of, well, not necessarily advice, but what you've seen with your children and, and the advice you might give to them or whether it be career, friendships, relationships, it, that. It is a confusing time. What, what are your thoughts it on is. that? It uh, is. I still don't know what I want to do, you know, <laughs> which is crazy. I know that sounds silly, but I don't think the world is has so many options, which is which is wonderful, but it also is quite confusing for mm. for young people. And I think COVID, throwing COVID in and, you know, this work from home side of things, which mm. is great, but how, the balance between you, you should probably go to work for you know, three or four days a week because that's where you meet people, right? Yeah. If, you, if you take that whole socialisation out of, out of your life, um, where do you meet people? Yeah. And where do you meet like-minded people and in a safe, secure environment? It was, you don't meet many people in a bar who you actually you know, want to be good mates with or good yeah. friends with. So yeah. I, don't, I don't have advice for, for people because I just don't know what the yeah. solution is. But I, I do think it is a very, very confusing world if you're mm. somewhere between 18 and 25 
the only thing I do know in life is if you you have a go at something and you work really hard at something, something else will even if it's not that something else will come out of it. Yeah. Um, if you if you sort of half put your toe in the water and don't really commit and you don't really have a go at it and don't really work that hard, normally it's not going to be that satisfying. Yeah. So my view is that even if it's not perfect, mm. have a crack at it, go as hard as you can at it, and and be a good person around it, and something else will fall out of that. If even it's not the that that's that's what you want to do. Mm. Um, you mentioned earlier, take risks. Well. Yeah, I think I think you, you need to take some risks in your life. Yeah. I think that you, you can't be totally safe because, mm. which is, which I think is harder for young people because of COVID and because of you mm. know it's been such a a bubble we've lived in mm. to, to to take risks. I think that whole two years being locked up has has messed with a lot of people. Yeah, and, oh, and changed yeah. the dynamic for a lot of people. So. Hopefully. Did, did you feel when you went out and interacted with people, was it weird? Absolutely. So yeah. I, so I, we had a business in in America, and I flew out. What was it? Let's say it was August. I think it was to go to the US for two weeks last year. Okay. And I flew out from a lockdown to New York, and I was like, "Wow, don't come near me." It was, it was yeah. really quite confront, not confronting, yeah. but it was on the first couple of days. I was like. There's people really close to me. Yeah, you know, I don't, yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I, people, I'm talking to real people other than my family. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. <laughs> but I'm actually talk, having conversations with people in a meeting room. That yeah. It's not my wife and kids. You know, yeah. So that's, yeah. that's really, really weird. <laughs> so that was, that was different. So I think for, for young people, it, it hasn't really, we haven't really quite, mm. you know, integrated yeah. as well as we could have yet. Yeah. Yeah, it's, well, we were the same when we got to England, but we were a bit more excited because yes. for us, we're like, Oh, bars are open and clubs are open and there's people everywhere and there's, you know, soccer, soccer stadiums. Yeah, live sport. And you're sitting like, as you know, you're sitting like this. Yeah. It's not, you know, you're not comfortable like you are at the AFL and we just soaked it up. We're like, this is just... And yeah. I think what it did, you know, for me was it gave me more excitement again about life because they'd come out of it a bit sooner than we did. But the morale of that place, and I went yeah. to London a few years prior, it was a gloomy place people very pessimistic and this time there's just optimism everywhere and yeah. excitement and people doing things and and it just a big shift yep. of energy i suppose and that just when we came home and we started coming out of the lockdown now it's starting to shift again too and it's just exciting to see that happen yeah absolutely yeah. and i think i think even you're going to cbd in melbourne at the moment and yeah. it's starting to feel like mm. it's back to you know there's that, yeah. that optimism back there yeah. so that's it's good to see. It's it'd, really good to see. It'd be rude not to finish. Who, who's winning the premiership this year? It'd be hard to go past the demons, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they just um, well haven't lost a game yet. No, so. yeah, <laughs> yeah, if they don't lose a game, they're probably a good chance. Yeah. And who's your current favourite player rolling around? Ah, oh, well, I spent a bit of time at Jerry so Toby Green have to, oh, yeah. have to put him right yeah, up. He's yeah. a bit of a freak. Oh, there's a lot of very good players there. That I, Mm. admiration for but yeah Toby's yeah. right up there who's the closest to you who do you see in, ter- in terms of uh, likeness as a player what, who, who only attacks yeah, when you, doesn't, when you, when doesn't you, defend <laughs> when you sit back and you go yeah that, that was me back in the day oh, I don't know you tell the kids you know, like you see how that's going that's that's what your old man used to do Toby Green's a mid forward so similar yeah but he defends a bit better than I do so <laughs> we'll say Toby but he, uh, he actually defends so. yeah. well James thanks so much for joining us mate thank you guys we, um, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you believing in our mission, what we're doing, and no um, you know we can't wait to to stay in touch and, and hopefully change some more lives. Thanks. Good luck, genuine honour for us. So no really appreciate it. Thank you. 
Steve, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, D? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.